Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings from beautiful downtown Bellevue, Washington. Yeah, <laughs> okay. We last night had a, just an absolutely spectacular time at Town Hall Seattle with Pramila Jayapal, Congresswoman. She is just extraordinary. Sold out event and filled the hall. It was pushing somewhere in the neighborhood of 900 people. And it was just spectacular. And then... I went back to my hotel, and MSNBC was replaying the debate. It had just started when I got back to the hotel, and so Louise and I sat on the phone for the next hour, kind of talking to each other while we were watching the debate replay, her in Portland, me here, but it was the same thing on the same network. And then I put it on my phone on SiriusXM and, and fell asleep listening to the second hour of it. But wow, talk about a food fight. So for our show today, you know, what did you think of the debate? My observations are probably consonant with pretty much everybody else's, but if you have what you think is a particularly useful observation or, you know, you'd like to share your opinions, it seemed to me that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders did just spectacularly. Bloomberg, who was going into this thing, you know, rising rapidly with his $380 million investment in advertising or close to, it's probably over $400 million now, just an enormous amount of money, just pouring money into this. People really hadn't met him yet outside of New York. I mean, New Yorkers knew him. They knew he could be kind of prickly. And, and in fact, he, he can be kind of prone to, to exploding. In New York, that's fine. I mean, that's kind of normal politics. And you know, what do you mean by that? You know, that kind of politics. But, you know, last night, I could just see him biting his tongue and, oh, oh. Um, 
And then and then Elizabeth Warren says, you know, well, non-disclosure agreements for sexual harassment and gender discrimination in the workplace. You want to explain how many you have? And he said, we have very few non-disclosure agreements. And she said, well, how many is that? He says, let me finish, woman. I mean, he didn't say woman, but that was the... And, and she says, no, how many is that? And he says, none of them accused me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like a joke I told. And I'm like, oh, my God. And he says, they signed the agreements, and that's what we're going to live with. Well, it's mind-boggling that we would be trading in one billionaire with a bunch of NDAs with women for another billionaire with a bunch of NDAs with women. And that's just the beginning of it, you know. And then Bernie Sanders comes out. And he says, Mike Bloomberg owns more wealth than the bottom 125 million Americans. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. He's like 60 billion. Wow, that's amazing. And then Bernie says, that's wrong. That's immoral. That should not be the case when we have got half a million people out sleeping on the street, when we've got kids who can't afford to go to college, when we have 45 million people dealing with student debt. We have enormous problems facing this country, Bernie said, and we cannot continue seeing a situation where in the last three years, billionaires in this country saw an $850 billion increase in their wealth. Congratulations, Mr. Bloomberg. But the average American last year saw less than a 1% increase in his or her income. That's wrong. And Bernie delivered a beautiful populist message last night, as did Elizabeth Warren. Then Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar got into this pissing war, for lack of a better phrase, Amy couldn't remember the president, AMLO. She couldn't remember his name, and so Pete is like, well, nah, 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 and he starts talking in Spanish and stuff. She basically says, what, you think you're the smartest kid in the room? You think I'm dumb? Is that what you're trying to suggest? And, of course, he was, <laughs> you know, saying that. I mean, you know, it's... So this was kind of the last chance. I mean, things are getting real here, and if they don't take down Bloomberg quickly... He's going to gain substantial momentum. A billion dollars will buy you a lot. Look at all the major brands that we have in this country that are just there. The only reason we buy them and use them is because of advertising. We're going to see the same thing, I think, right across the board with all of these candidates. This is their last chance to, to basically stop Bernie, stop Elizabeth Warren, and stop Mike Bloomberg. That's the full court press. And this morning in my hotel room, I was channel surfing, uh, CNN and MSNBC popping back and forth between the two of them while I was getting ready to come down here to the studio. And it just blew my mind. You know, the morning Joe's, of course, you know, MSNBC loves to have Republicans on as hosts for their progressive shows, <laughs> Morning Joe and Nicole Wallace and all this kind of stuff. And so here's Joe Scarborough with Donnie Deutsch, who hates Bernie Sanders. And, you know, as a multimillionaire, he, he inherited a multimillion dollar business from his daddy. And Claire McCaskill, who never saw a lobbyist she wasn't happy to take money from, they're sitting around going, well, if Bernie Sanders is elected, that's the end of the republic. You know, Donald Trump gets reelected and all, you know, all this kind of BS. And the conversation I had last night here in, in Seattle with Pramila Jayapal, who is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents Seattle in, in the House of Representatives, she was talking about how the way you win elections is by activating your base. The, the number of people who are, quote, in the middle, the number of people who don't have a strong leaning toward Republican or Democratic candidates is very tiny slice of the electorate. People call themselves independents, but they typically vote one way or the other fairly consistently. They just don't like having a label. 
Most people who call themselves independents call themselves independent because they, they like to think that they have, they, I am noble and I have higher thoughts than politics, right? Or some variation on that. Or that's what they want to tell their friends. But the bottom line is they really know who they're going to vote for. So it's not that we're fighting for those people in the middle. Every time the Democrats try to do that, they lose elections. And the one time Republicans have tried to do that since 1980, which was the 92 re-election of George Herbert Walker Bush, they lost the election. But Republicans run these base campaigns. Reagan did it. Bush did it. Trump did it. They do it for the Senate. They talk to their base. If you can get the base out, if you can get an extra 10% of your own voters out, given that only half of voters typically vote in any given election, if you can get an extra 10% out, you can overwhelm the other side. And who can do that right now? Bernie had 23,000 people in Tacoma this week. I was down in Los Angeles just before that. He had 14,000 people there. I mean, these were packed, sold out, standing room only events. And they're being treated by the media like they didn't even happen. I mean, there's just like no mention of them. Trump holds a rally. Oh, hey, here's Trump's rally. Oh, isn't that a fascinating? A thousand people show up with guns in Virginia. Oh, hey, let's cover this for four days. 300 people show up, uh, Tea Party protesters to say, you know, we don't want Medicare for all. And oh, it's a big deal. But, but, but a progressive Sanders or Warren? No, we're not going to talk about that. It's amazing. Ingrid in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Ingrid, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I love Bernie, and I know he likes his label socialism, and I get where he's coming from, but I hate to see him scored with it. Instead of him pounding the same talking points all the time, I really wish that he would turn it around. What do people expect out of our democracy? How can you have any meaningful competition in the healthcare field when people need health care? You can't have it running in a normal marketplace like they want to do with their public option. He could hammer that more. He could turn it around more instead of the same talking points over and over again. Taking our health care away? I mean, I am so sick of hearing that. Why aren't they coming back more on that? Who's going to implement something without having a plan for how to get it implemented and taking the health care away? These are cheap shots. They let them get away with it. Yeah, I know, I've noticed. <laughs> I've noticed. And not only do they let them get away with it, but they get repeated on the talk shows. Uh, they yes. call them news shows. Yeah, I have, you know, MSN, on, uh, I have your show on and MSNBC on all day. And it goes on and on and without an end. Ingrid, thanks a lot for the call. Faud in uh, Placentia, California. Hey, Faud, am I saying your Hi, name Tom. right? Or Fuad? Yes, Fuad is correct. Thank you for Fouad, taking my I'm call. You're welcome. I'm, I'm a fan of your show. Thank you for all you do. My question is regarding the corporate Democrats' repeat of sabotaging Bernie's campaign as they did in 2016. And if that happens again... <laughs> What can we do and be prepared to combat that from corporate Democrats? If that happens, the way it'll play out, Fouad, is that uh, if Bernie doesn't get 50 percent plus one of the delegates on the first ballot at the, at, the, at the convention in Milwaukee this summer, then it goes to the second ballot and an additional, uh, that's about 4,000 uh, delegates, more or less, just a little short of 4,000. And uh, if he doesn't get that, then the roughly 800 superdelegates who are elected officials and party elders, you know, there's maybe 40 or 50 of them that are firmly in Bernie's camp, but the rest of them tend to be in uh, kind of Joe Biden world. And the superdelegates then come in and their vote will probably be the one that breaks the tie or that makes the decision. And at the very end of the debate, they had asked everybody, 
do you think that whoever has the most votes, even if nobody hits 50%, because there's so many candidates, do you think the person with the most votes should be the nominee, or should we go to the second ballot? Should we follow the DNC official rules? And everybody except Bernie said follow the rules. That troubles me, right. concerns me. You know, all we can do is just keep an eye out and yell when it happens. Hey friends, wanted to give you the latest news about my good friend Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning show, but that doesn't mean he's gone away. No way. He's now out with a great new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. Check out The Bill Press Pod for Bill's interviews with some of the country's leading progressives like Maxine Waters, Mark Bocan, Jamie Raskin, all roasting Donald Trump. Plus his lively end of the week roundtable with three of Washington's top political reporters commenting on the latest craziness from the White House Congress and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the leading progressive voices in our country, so I'm so glad he's still out there on the left and stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, search for the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you're in for a true progressive experience on the Bill Press Pod. Check out Bill's new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, dropped twice a week. There's this whole thing about, well, Bernie's not releasing his medical information. This was the attack du jour yesterday, right? He's, he's not being transparent. His heart doctor, his regular doctor, and the official doctor for the hospital have all released a lot of information about Bernie. And, and I wanted to just tell you what's out there, what we know. I tweeted out yesterday, you know, I'm really not interested in Bernie's last prostate exam. You know, I'd like to know if his heart's in good shape and, and is he in good shape. Back, this was about six, seven weeks ago, a Twitter handle, GUEK, G-U-E-K underscore J-C is the Twitter handle, put together a really great thread, and I retweeted it a few times last night via the thread reader, about Bernie's health information that is that Bernie has disclosed. You know, I just want to share this with you. I'm going to go through this. And if you think that this is not enough information for you, then, you know, pretty astonishing. First of all, the physician says he has served, my office has served as your physician for the past 29 years. So this is Bernie's longtime doctor. He uh, said he, Bernie is uh, six foot tall. He's 174 pounds. His body mass index is 23.6. This puts Bernie in the 20th percentile for his age. He's leaner than most in his cohort without being in danger of being underweight, which would be a problem if you're in your 70s. Being underweight is not a good thing. His blood pressure is a fantastic 102 over 56. Wow. His resting heart rate is 60. It doesn't get better than that. His labs show a normal blood count, normal vitamin D, normal thyroid hormone level, no anemia, likely good iron stores. Outside of health issues, uh, he does take uh, thi uh, Synthroid for his thyroid, but his fasting glucose is 84. That's fantastic. You want it to be below 100, you know, and, and that's just spectacular. Total cholesterol is 117. Your goal is to be under 200. So that's, I mean, he's got, these are lab numbers that you'd see in a 25-year-old. I'm not exaggerating. And most surprising is his LDL, that's the bad cholesterol, it's 58. And that's the one that's linked to heart disease. And, and 58 is super, super low. The goal is to keep it under 100, but uh, <laughs> 58, that's mind boggling. His good cholesterol, the goal is to have it above 40. And his HDL, the good cholesterol, is 45. His heart rhythm is a normal sinus rhythm. In other words, the EKG is totally normal. In his detailed medical history, he does have gout. 
and that's often dietarily related. But he's not on any kind of medication for it, which means it's only an occasional thing that flares up. It's not something that's a chronic problem for him. And he is taking two drugs. He's taking atorovastin, which is for cholesterol, and probably why his cholesterol levels are so low, and a thyroid medication, levothyroxine, which helps the thyroid. It, basically, as you age, you, you need to do these things. He's had mild heartburn issues, <laughs> but he doesn't, he's not on any kind of medication for it, so he's not at risk for anything like that. He also takes aspirin and has since, since he had the stent put in to prevent clotting. And then we get into the heart, his heart attack. Cardiac markers are the first thing used to screen for a myocardial infarction. The doctor says the most significant event in your health was your admission to Desert Springs Hospital in Vegas on November 1st, 2019 for a myocardial infarction. You underwent prompt cardiac catheterization. Narrowed segment was reopened by the placement of two drug-eluting stents called PCI. You standard treatment. You were released three days later and returned home. EKG, or echocardiograms rather, which is like an x-ray of the heart, only it's not x-rays. It's done with ultrasound, I believe and measures how well your blood pumps heart and how well and, and whether your heart walls and valves are strong and like that. He's completely normal in that. When you have a heart attack, there's this thing called the NSTEMI, but his outcomes are normal now. The greatest mortality predictors for somebody of his age are heart attack or heart failure, and he doesn't have any evidence of heart failure. He's got, he's, his heart's in great shape, and, and the heart attack that he had was because he had one artery that was clogging up, and, and they've got that popped open with the stent, just like Mike Bloomberg did 20 years ago. So bottom line, I mean, it goes on from there. Heart rate is 92% of target heart rate, which is fantastic. The actual number is 130 to 150. In other words, he can get his heartbeat. When he does a, a stress test on a treadmill, he can get his heartbeat up to 150 beats per minute, which is, you know, if you've ever done this, that's like brutal. He can do that without discomfort. So that means that this guy is as healthy as somebody in their, in their 30s, 40s, or a healthy person in their 50s. I wish I had these kind of numbers. So, you know, and, and the letter goes on from there. Again, you can check out my tweets yesterday and you can read the whole thing. So this whole thing of, you know, well, Bernie, why don't you release your medical records? You know, like, you know, you need to give us that, you know, three foot thick file from the last 40 years with every single time you went in and, and all the details of all the, you know, it's stupid. I just wanted to lay all this out and we'll probably clip this little riff and put it on YouTube so that uh, people can see it because people need to know it's a phony attack. They're totally grasping at straws. They can't attack Bernie for being a bad person, like they're going after Bloomberg now for, you know, it, Bernie doesn't have NDAs with women. They can't go after Bernie for being corrupt. They can't go after Bernie for taking corporate money or billionaire money. Uh, they can't go after Bernie for being inconsistent. They can't go after Bernie for being a bigot. So what do they do? Well, he didn't give us enough information about his health. Are you nuts? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Steve in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? I'd like to know how would you reply to someone saying that if, if Bernie runs against Trump, it'll be like the Nixon-George McGovern race all over again. Nixon was like Trump, as you know, and McGovern was a progressive, supported by all the young people, and he lost 49 states. So I don't know how to reply yes. to a person who told me this yesterday. Okay, yeah, and it's a good question because that's the meme that's being put out in the media. I've heard Donnie Deutsch, I believe, and others on MSNBC repeat that repeatedly. First of all, if you go back to that 1972 election where mm -hmm. Nixon beat McGovern so badly, Ed Muskie was the guy who was most likely going to run against Nixon. Ed Muskie 
And all the pre-election polling showed that Ed Muskie could have easily beaten Nixon. So Nixon sent Chuck Colson up to Maine and published, they called it the Canuck letter. Canuck is a slur, a racial slur. It's like, it's like the N-word for French Americans, French ancestry Americans, who are a large proportion of the people who live up in Maine and Ed Muskie's constituents, and published this letter saying that Ed Muskie had used this word and that he was constantly slurring his own people, blah, blah, blah. It was total fiction, but it got published in the newspaper, in the front page of the paper. And Ed Muskie got up there and just really yelled about it, basically. And it was snowing the day that that happened. And all this snow was getting on his face. His face got wet. And Nixon's guys, they had organized this as a dirty trick. And Nixon's guys pushed out the story along with photos saying that Ed Muskie was crying, that he was standing on the back of this flatbed truck crying because he couldn't take the heat. And that was the narrative that actually got picked up by the media in the United States and, and appeared on CBS and NBC. And it functionally ended Ed Muskie's candidacy. So then the weaker Democrat, George McGovern, who was not a particularly good campaigner, he was a very decent man. He was the senator from uh, North or South Dakota, good Democrat. He had been a World War II pilot. He was a, a war hero. I mean, his plane was shot down over Italy, and he made an emergency landing that nobody thought was even possible and pulled it off and saved his crew and everything. And he had flown all these bombing missions over Germany in World War II. But he was not... He was not Ed Muskie. He was not the kind of guy who can just say, I'm going to take it to you, buddy, because that was Ed Muskie. And George McGovern was a, you know, he was a college professor type. He was soft-spoken. And then he picked Tom Eagleton as his vice presidential candidate. At the nominating party, right at the convention, he gets Tom Eagleton as his VP and starts this McGovern-Eagleton ticket. And three months into the campaign, we're just a five, six months out. I'm doing this from memory, so I may be off a few months in one way or another. But, but I remember the 72 election. And five, six months out from the election, the news reports that Tom Eagleton had suffered from depression his entire life and had had electroshock therapy. You know, where they put electrodes right. on your brain and zap you. And uh, this was right after the movie Cuckoo Nest came out. And people were like, holy crap, that guy's going to be one heartbeat away from the president. And McGovern was an older guy. You know, he was pushing 70 at that time, too. And so McGovern had to dump Eagleton and pick another guy. I don't even remember who it was now. Right. Sergeant Shriver, that's right. This was an absolute disaster. And he was a weak candidate to begin with. So, of course, Nixon won. Nixon was a competent campaigner. He had the power of the incumbency, which, of course, Trump does have this time. But I'm telling you, 2020 is not 1972, number one. The circumstances are very different. The main issue that brought young people along was not a set of progressive values, although he was a progressive. It was his opposition to the war in Vietnam. And most young people were united on that. So he had that. So it was basically kind of a one-issue campaign that McGovern was running, number one. Number two, McGovern never really took it to Nixon. He never really challenged Nixon. His campaign was namby-pamby toast. He was trying to reach out to people in the middle because he knew he already had the kids, you know, with the Vietnam War issue. Yes, he was a progressive, but he didn't run a progressive campaign. I mean, go back and look at the campaign commercials from that time. McGovern was trying to reach the great middle, and every time Democrats do that, they lose elections. So to say that Bernie Sanders has anything to do with George McGovern in any way that a Sanders candidacy or a Warren candidacy, for that matter, after you saw what she did last night when she, she literally peeled the skin off, or not literally, but peeled the skin <laughs> off Michael Bloomberg. She just took him apart. They could take the skin from his head and make a, one of the little shrunken heads and turn it into a voodoo doll now. It's just, so I have no fear whatsoever 
that McGovern candidacy tells us any lessons at all about a genuine progressive running in this election. And, and by the way, that, that McGovern presidency, oh, he's too progressive thing, that's been used before. They tried using that against Barack Obama in 2008. You recall, you know, in the Clinton campaign. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So any, you know, the, the Clinton campaign was basically saying, "Oh, Obama's too far to the left." You know, you don't want another McGovern situation, and it's probably been used in other elections before that that I just don't remember. But the bottom line, Steve, it's a totally false analogy. Unfortunately, it took me, what, two and a half minutes, I think you've been on the line? Maybe a little, no, it's more like three or four minutes for me to explain all that, because you've got to do the history lesson, and you've got to talk about who was Tom Eagleton, and why, you know, why did people go, oh, you know, this guy, and he had the judgment to pick somebody as his VP who had electroshock therapy, really? I mean, at that point, I'd be wondering whether I wanted to vote for George McGovern. So anyhow, Steve, I hope I answered your question. Thank you very much for the call, and thanks for watching us there on Free Speech TV in Orlando. Sheila in Talent, Oregon. Hey, Sheila, what's up? I uh, watched all of the debate last night. You may not remember, but I've always been a Warren supporter, and I still am. Uh, after the debate, most of us... She did great the last Potomac, night. I thought so. She was the adult. She was the teacher that you want to teach your children. Uh, at any rate... Um, Few of us west of the Potomac really know anything about Bloomberg except that he was the mayor of New York and because of some of the news, the stop and frisk. And I think she opened an introduction for us to know a little bit more. I don't believe he belonged on the stage. He really doesn't represent anything that's democratic to me. Uh, I thought the AMLO uh, thing was a cheap shot at Klobuchar. That being said, the woman who asked the question from, I don't know if it was Univision or... um, Telemundo, uh, but she said she still didn't know anything. She couldn't answer questions on policy. And if you are going to go on a Latin network to talk, to be in an interview that's going to ask questions about Latin American policy and the U.S., I think you would maybe not remember the name of the president of Mexico, but you should know something about some of the policies that they might ask you about. So, I so you're talking about Amy Klobuchar. That was correct. Yeah, and I like Amy Klobuchar. I thought that they were bullying her, and there again, Warren stepped up. She does not like bullies. I have read Warren's um, policies, and her her domestic policies all touch my heart. And they're what I want. I'm a retired um, critical care RN, and I know that Medicare for All is what we are going to have to have if we are going to bring health care costs under control, improve medicine, and get people get people coverage for health care. The other thing is at the very end of the program, which has really turned me off, was, again, um, Bernie went over to uh, Biden to talk to him, and there was a little bit of an exchange, and it did not look hostile to me. In fact, it looked like two old guys that know each other. And I think it was either Chuck Todd or maybe it was Brian Williams who wanted them to listen in on the conversation. It was a moment, he called it. And um, Lawrence O'Donnell took issue with that, which I like, which is probably the reason that he's one of the few I watch on that on the, that network now, um, that they shouldn't be listening in on it. This was the mics were supposed to be off. They wanted to see if the mics were still hot and they could listen in so that they could do what they did before with Warren and Bernie. Mm-hmm. And it really yeah. is such a low, nasty thing to do. And um but as the as it all goes, as far as the debate goes, I would prefer that Chuck Todd not be a part of them anymore. 
and I yeah. really, really did you hear my my, my telling my telling my story about my wife Louise, uh, what she called me up yesterday and said about that. Yeah. Uh -uh. Yesterday on the air, I said, you know, I'm going to be doing this thing with Pramila Jayapal tonight at Town Hall Seattle, and so I won't be able to watch the debate live, so Louise is going to watch it and take notes. Well, I hadn't had a discussion with her about that. I just said it, you know, and I just I figured she would anyway. And so she calls uh -huh. me up and she says, you said on the air that I've got to watch the whole debate and take notes. I'm going to have to watch that effing Chuck Todd. And she never uses that word, you know, the F word. And, 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 uh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good on you. And once, well, I'll tell you something. I see the nurses swear a lot. And if they say they don't, they don't do it in the rooms. And we never talk around visitors or patients that way. But when we get to the stations with our frustration, we throw a lot of F-bombs out there. <laughs> okay. One of the things that mattered to me, yeah, one of the things that mattered to me with Warren is I looked at all of them, and she is the one, and she's a damn good debater, she is the one that tells me she could talk to our allies again. She could talk to our adversaries again. She was calm. She was composed. She had the answers. She was analytical. Yes. And she's not afraid of bullies. And she's not afraid yes. to call people on their crap. And neither is Bernie. Yeah, you... And if he's the one, I'll, I'll vote for him. It's just that she, when she says we're going to work for those little babies, she's not looking at just little white babies. She sees all children. She loves, and I think she loves the people. And I just, maybe it's because she's a woman that I'm more biased. Maybe I'm just tired of men in power. Um, and the only time she ever had a competitor for me was Kamala Harris. And I was mm -hmm. furious at what they did with her. And they're trying yeah. to do the same with Warren, which is not well, I, I could see Elizabeth Warren very easily, you know, hard negotiations with Macron or, or Boris Johnson or, or and standing yeah. up to Vladimir Putin. And, uh, you know, it's she's it's, not going to uh, be taken and, in by him. Yeah. And she certainly wouldn't be sucking up to people like Mohammed bin Salman, you know, like Donald God Trump. Knows. I mean, Trump has got all these no. relationships with all these dictators where he's building Trump Towers or he already has Trump Towers. And it's just disgusting. Sheila, thank you for the call. And everything you had to say, including the F-bomb stuff. Is the bane of your life wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags? Well, there's something you can do about it, and I'm not talking about risky, expensive surgery. Just imagine that they're gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's literally the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? Uh, try it out. You'll be absolutely astonished. It'll, it'll take 10 years off your appearance. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This, also, this offer is also available by calling one 800 685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? Listen, I want to point Thank out you. something about Mike Bloomberg last night. 
remember his answer to Elizabeth Warren when she challenged him on the NDAs, and his response was so clueless, so typical Republican. He was saying, yeah, we're going to live with it. And my question immediately was, and I was hoping she would say, who's we? Who's we are going to live with it? They have to live with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And, you know, he also he also went into this rambling little he said, I want a whole minute for this. And then he goes into this rambling thing about my uh, number two person is a woman and I have women in my company and 40 percent of them are women. And I have, you know, and blah, blah, blah. He starts he starts basically citing statistics about the diversity in his organization, in his campaign and in his company, you know, which is all well and good. But, you know, and then then Elizabeth Warren says, you know, did you hear his answer? He basically said he was nice to some women. And it's yeah. like, really? It's it's like a variation of my, you know, I, on, I have a black friend, you know? It's, jeez. I mean, yeah, which I reminds me, I one other thing, I thought Elizabeth was the, the perfect attack on him. She failed to mention one thing, though. You remember when Donald went down the golden escalator in, in the spring or summer of, of 2015? He had all those $50 flat fee paid extras to cheer him on. Yes. So what's the difference between that and this Republican paying for people to socially influence, uh, to like him on the Internet? What's the difference? Right. Yeah. There, there is no. Uh, there, there, yeah, you're exactly right. There functionally is no difference. And, and uh, you know, I think you nailed it there, uh, Johnny. So, Take his so, money and support Democratic causes, not himself. It's a vanity project, like Tom Steyer, although Tom Steyer is a few notches away above him. Yeah. Well, Tom Steyer is a good guy. He, he just wouldn't make a good president. He doesn't have, you know, the one thing that Bloomberg has if he were to become president is he knows how to use power. He did that as mayor of New York, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, but he knows how to use power. And that's the thing that scares me about Tom Steyer. He's a billionaire. He's a very nice guy. He's supported a lot of great causes. Uh, he was on my show. I, you know, have had a long conversation with him. Thoughtful man, decent man, no doubt in my mind at all. Yeah. And I'm not sure I can say all those things about Mike Bloomberg. I don't know, you know, frankly enough about him. But, um, but I don't, I will disagree I'm not slightly. confident. I'm not confident oh, that, uh, that Tom Steyer could Steyer. hold Congress to account, you know. Tom Steyer so doesn't scare me so much as Mike Bloomberg does. Mike Bloomberg is a mixed bag. He's unreliable. That's the scary part. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Johnny, thanks a lot for the call. Was there too much aggression? Was there not enough? I guess the main question that I would ask you is, did last night's debate change your opinion of any of the candidates? What last night's, I mean, you know my, broadly, you know my opinions of all of the candidates, but uh, up until last, last night, I didn't have a strong opinion about Mike Bloomberg. And that's why, you know, people would call yesterday and say, well, I'll never vote for Mike Bloomberg. And I'd say, well, you know, then you're dumb. Because if he's the nominee, he's still better than Donald Trump. And of course, I still believe that even uh, a, a cranky old autocrat like Mike Bloomberg is better than Donald Trump. At, at least he believes in the rule of law. Uh, to some extent, apparently. He certainly believes in non-disclosure agreements. Um, but he, he lost me last night. I mean, I just, you know, uh, I, like I said, I'll vote for him if he's our candidate. But uh, I was frankly surprised, almost shocked, by how poorly Mike Bloomberg did in response to what he had to have known was coming. I mean, it's not, you know, these things in his record are not mysteries. So... Jeff in Santa Fe, New Mexico, listening on uh, 1260. Uh, hey, Jeff, what's up? Who designs the format of the debates? I feel like they're sort of just create contention and desperate-looking 
candidates and ugh, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, well, that's, so you know, that, this, this is something that the television networks have put together because their, their imperative is to get eyeballs to deliver to their advertisers. And so they're looking, people slow down for fistfights and car wrecks, and they're looking for exactly that. They're trying to provoke a fistfight or a car wreck. And, and, we, and we certainly saw that last night. Now, you know, you could decry that, and, and you just did, but the flip side of that is that that draws more eyeballs to the Democrats. You know, if, if we just had something like the Nixon-Kennedy debates where each person has five minutes and the other person has, you know, 10 minutes to make a speech and the next person has five minutes to make a rebuttal and, you know, like that, uh, I think in this day and age, nobody would tune in or it would be a complete snoozer. I have objected strongly to some of the uh, formats in the past in this cycle in that I didn't think people really had a chance. But I thought last night they gave people a pretty good chance, Jeff. I, I, I was yeah. not that concerned about it. So thanks a lot, Jeff. Good to hear from you. Holly in Santa Fe. Wow, a lot of callers on KTRC this morning. Hey, Holly. Bloomberg definitely was looking very unpresidential and caught in all his soup as far as the women and the non-disclosure agreements. And I thought that Elizabeth Warren did an incredible job. And yeah. I just it just seems like she has to be ten times better and the next guy in order to win. And I'm just so frustrated by that. Um, I would really like her to win. I love Bernie. I've always been, you know, I mean, I I think he, I think you're right that he should really talk about that. It would be like electing FDR. Yeah. Yeah. Or even LBJ without the war. Yeah, and LBJ without the war. In recent history, there are progressive Democratic presidents who are way to the left of anybody except Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. And and, and Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are not to the left of LBJ or FDR. And, uh, you know, that is completely ignored in the corporate media, completely ignored, which is just nuts. And so now you've got this giant stop Bernie movement going on, and you can see all you have to do is watch CNN or MSNBC for five minutes, and you'll see it on display. And originally they thought, okay, uh, maybe Pete can stop Bernie. And then it was, well, maybe Amy can stop stop Bernie. And so Amy was popping up on MSNBC and on Rachel Maddow's show over and over and right. over and over again. And obviously, they, they, let's put our hopes on her. Well, she never really caught fire, and you know she was trembling during one of the debates and all that kind of stuff. And so then it was like, well, maybe Bloomberg can stop Bernie. And so for the last week or two, it's been, oh, Bloomberg, he's kind of cool. And look at this. And he helps the environment. And he's, you know, and and then Bloomberg comes out last night and just crashes and burns. I mean, it was like the Hindenburg going down. And so this morning on TV, they were like, you know, and, and of course, at the very beginning, they thought, well, Joe Biden will stop Bernie, of course. And Joe Biden, he was he was doing his kind of doddering routine last night as well. Uh, I didn't think he, he did. He performed particularly well at all, sadly. So now they're like, OK, who's going to stop Bernie? Well, maybe Elizabeth Warren. But, you know, she's going to she's going to put the lobbyists out of business, too. And, uh, you know, right. we're a television network and we got a lot of lobbyists and we kind of like this uh, corporate state thing. And they, they just don't know what to do. They're panicking. Well, that's why you should, you're right. The League of Women Voters should be doing it. And also, I want to tell you yes. that I put a thing up on Tom Steyer's that he should buy a good, you know, television or radio station and get oh, and no. not try to be president. And I thought I thought yeah. Biden did actually extraordinary. If you might have lost the last part of it, he did really well. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. You know, he's a decent man. Holly, thank you're you. You're listening call. to the Tom Hartman program. 
Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Tom Harvin here with you. Uh, what did you think about the debate last night? It seemed to me like the big winners were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Bernie got his message out and got it out solidly. And, and uh, you know, people tried to attack him, of course, from 16 different directions. But none of the none of the attacks were anything that we haven't heard 100 times. And it was just, you know, blather, it seemed. And, uh, and Elizabeth Warren, who has been trying to play nice, I think, in, in previous uh, uh, debates, uh, just took the gloves off. And just, you know, peel the bark off Michael Bloomberg. And, and I would say he was the big loser. And, and I think also Pete Buttigieg got, uh, got hurt. I think Joe Biden ended up pretty much where he was. He, he didn't do himself any harm. And, and he did get some good, good uh, uh, moments in there. He loves to say, I was the guy who, you know, and then, you know, fill in the blank, right? Uh, negotiated with the foreign government or did the you know, Obamacare for all or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, which is fine. I mean, he's, he certainly has the, uh, the credentials and the, and the cred. So uh, anyhow, picking up your phone calls, Krista in Portland, listening on uh, Sirius XM. What's up, Krista? Yeah, Elizabeth Warren uh, turned me around last night. I've been a Buttigieg supporter. Um, I've liked, you know, his intellect and things he's had to say. But um, I think she demonstrated that she's got what it takes to take on Trump the way she took down Bloomberg and and just the way she you know and I also appreciated how she st- stood up for Klobuchar when yeah uh, can you imagine her taking on getting... Trump that way yes I could I see mean, it's it. just amazing yeah and 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 my, my apologies Christo I'm remote here so there's about a one second delay between between the time either one of us starts or stops talking so we're gonna step on each other and my apologies in advance to you and all of our callers <laughs> all day um, so uh, you were you were saying something when I stepped on you. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just uh, just that I turned around. I mean, I, I got done watching the debate and I donated to her campaign um, and oh, I haven't cool. done that yet. So I just wanted to call in and say, you know, she's the one that I think could take him on. Yeah. Yeah. I and and I, I suspect that Elizabeth Warren is going to get a huge bump out of this. Krista, thanks so much for the call. It's great to hear from you. Karen in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hey, Karen, you're on the air. Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. I'm answering your question. Did the debate change my ideas about anything? And it definitely did. Um, I do not want any part of Mr. Bloomberg after last night, and I don't think he's a Democrat at all. I think it's just in name only. And uh, I'm a Bernie supporter, but in the past I thought that uh, all of the candidates on the stage were okay, okay with me. I could support any of them. But after last night, I certainly it would not be happy about supporting Mr. Bloomberg at all. Yeah, I think so, if he's our party's nominee, I, uh, Trump gets reelected. I, I, you know, and, and I've never said that about any of the other candidates. I, I might have kind of intimated it. But I, I, you know, with Bloomberg, I think it's conspicuous. Yeah, yeah, it really I is. Agree. Okay. I agree. I agree 100%. And, and Elizabeth Karen. was great. Yeah, thank she you. really she really was. She rocked. Karen, thank you for the call. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Um, good afternoon to you. Bellevue's hey. a pretty place, huh? Um, 
Yeah. Real quickly, it just is. I loved your analogy about Bloomberg and the crash of the Hindenburg. The blooming crash of the Hindenburg. It was lovely to see. Can't stand yeah. that man. The lady who just called. He is definitely not a Democrat. It's absurd. Um, and with your uh, permission, I'd like to remind you of a conversation you and I had about a year ago about AMLO and how he got elected in such a really dramatic landslide. He got 67% of the vote, I think it was. Um, right, this is the current president of Mexico. Yes. Yes. For your listeners who don't know, AMLO is Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, because even Mexicans can't say all that all the time. Uh, if I have your permission, I want to remind you of a conversation we had. Go for it. Go for it, Nicholas. Yeah, and he was, he was sort of the Bernie Sanders of Mexico, and nobody likes to talk about that in the United States. Instead, they talk about <laughs> no, they Corbyn. don't like to talk about it much because his success was quite dramatic. Uh, he's not quite as progressive as everyone had thought he would, or it's, it's simply that he's running into you know obstacles that were unforeseen. However, the conversation you and I had was about how he had released a list of his potential cabinet members before the actual... Do you remember that conversation? I do. And I, agree, yeah, I remember well, agreeing with you that that's a brilliant strategy and that uh, yeah. you know, once we have a nominee, uh, they well, should well, be doing well, that well, same well, thing. Well, this is my point. Hang on. I was speaking with a young woman who was part of his campaign committee three evenings ago at a friend's house, and um, she reminded me that he had put out a partial list um, well before the election, not just... Um, before the election, which would be the case of a nominee in our situation. It was a little different there. And she was saying that uh, somebody should encourage him to get that list partially out there now to give people you know, more to think about than just to think about him as a candidate or a nominee or even a winner. By him, you're talking about Bernie? Yes. Well, I am. Yeah, yes, I am. He, he's still my guy. Although I must say, you know, Liz certainly, you know, did well by herself last night. It was, she was terrific. But yes, Bernie primarily. Um, and, and, and she encouraged me to, to call you actually, and because uh, I, you know, I know you have his ear when you want to get it. And um, it might be time to begin thinking about doing it because. She insists still that the effect on the election was quite dramatic for AMLO and that it gave people so much more to think about than just him as a single person a candidate and uh, that yeah. that helped him enormously. So that's, that's, I just wanted to call and remind you. Cool. Thank you, Nicholas. You know, I, and I agree with you. We'll have a little tete-a-tete uh, -tete with Bernie. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't talk to Bernie so much these days, but you know, because he's just insanely busy, and and uh, but I do talk to people who are in his campaign, and and uh, I'll pass that along. I think it's a great suggestion, Nicholas. Thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you, Colleen in Long Island, New York. Hey, Colleen, you're a New Yorker. You you must know Bloomberg. <laughs> Not only do I know Bloomberg, but my cousin's husband was his campaign manager when he ran for mayor. Whoa. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so can you talk out of school? Hearing you talk. I've been hearing you talk about Bloomberg for a while now, and I kept saying, oh, should I call or should I not call? You know, what do I do? The family is mainly Democratic. But even when Bloomberg was running as a Republican, my cousin's husband was his campaign manager. Because the guy is very smart, this campaign manager fellow. When I've met Bloomberg, he is not interested in anybody but what he wants to do. And it's really the man behind the man that's made this campaign when he was mayor so successful. And it's just an interesting 
you know, aside uh, that he really doesn't think like a Democrat. He really doesn't think like a regular person. I know he started a business with a phone and a desk and, a, you know, a chair and that kind of thing. And he built up a, a tremendous business. But he is not interested in anyone else but himself and what he wants out of what he's got. And my family has this connection with him. But I'm one of the poor relations, so I don't get to, you know, <laughs> rub elbows with them that much. But, you know, when Bloomberg was mayor, my cousin's brother was up for the, I want to say, running the Tavern on the Green restaurant that was being redone. And yeah. three other people submitted bids, and my cousin's brother got it because her husband was the campaign manager. Oh. And so there is this... Yeah, little yeah, a little inside influence like, thing. Yeah. yeah, and and you know you get that in the family, and and you you just say, well, wait a minute, you know this isn't the way it's because the other people that were submitting bids were much more qualified than my cousin's brother, um, mm. you know my other cousin, and right. he he really didn't have the chops for the job, but he had his brother-in-law, you know, working as chief of staff at the time for Bloomberg. And it's unfortunate that this kind of money power, you know, the power of money, yeah. is becoming the norm instead of the exception. Yeah, money blinds people. You know, when Reagan came into office, it was like, okay, no more of this Jimmy Carter wearing cardigan sweaters and walking to the White House after his inauguration. We're going to go in limousines and we're going to be wearing, you know, lizard skin boots, snake skin boots that are, you know, $1,000 a pair. And we're going to have grand balls with tuxedos and we're going to invite the billionaires back into the White House. Then you had Dynasty and Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And all of America just was in thrall to riches throughout the 1980s. You know, it was more money bigger hair, you know, all that stuff. And that seems to be, I, I only see it from afar. I mean, I spent a lot of time in New York and my very best friend in the world lives in New York and I, I ran a business out of New York once. But it seems like that's kind of New York also. Money has tremendous influence. It blinds people, Colleen. I'm sorry, but my cousin's family is more about empire building even in their own family than what mm. is right and wrong. And I've seen them being seduced by the power and the money. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. Colleen, thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you and uh, nice to get the inside scoop every now and then. I hope you don't get in trouble with your family for talking like that. And uh, we'll continue. We know we're, we're kind of processing this fascinating debate and the flaming crash of Michael Bloomberg right after this. I'm broadcasting live from uh, Seattle, Bellevue. Uh, we're at the studios of Bellevue College, uh, which is where KBCS is, kbcs.fm. So our local radio station here and, uh, and uh, helped us out last night. And it's just a great, great station. If you've, and if you're listening in the, in the Seattle, Bellevue area, tell your friends about kbcs.fm. Joseph in Los Angeles. Hey, Joseph, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? You know, obviously, like everyone's been saying, Elizabeth Warren did a great job. And I lived in Massachusetts at the beginning of her stay. And I even lived in New York under Bloomberg for a while. So I, I am pretty familiar with them. I'm pretty supportive myself. But I feel like everyone's forgetting that Hillary Clinton basically dismantled Trump in all the debates that they had. And it didn't seem to make a difference. His supporters, his base, they still voted for him. 
And I think that focusing, while it was definitely important to take out Bloomberg like she did, I think that the message is somehow still getting lost, that there should be more focus on all the things that the administration has currently done that is so diametrically opposed to, you know, everything that the majority of Americans actually stand for. I agree with you, Joseph. And here's where I have had objections to every single one of the debates. This, I believe, is the ninth. And that is that if you think back four years ago to the Republican debates, because that was the hot topic, right? That was the big ticket that everybody was watching. The questions that were being asked by the by the moderators, by the by the corporate moderator, the corporate TV moderators, um, yep. were very often, I mean, and I'd have to go back and look at them to do an actual count, but they, they were common enough, they were frequent enough that it seemed to me like it was almost half of the questions were questions about um, what, you know, Obama did this, what do you want to say about that? Obama did that, what do you want to say about that? The Democrats want to do this, what do you want to say about that? They were, they were openings to attack the sitting president or Hillary Clinton. And, and, I haven't been hearing those kinds of questions here. The kind of questions that I've been hearing in most of these debates have been, um, you know, one of you Democrats says this, the other Democrat says that, please fight with each other. And uh, that troubles me. But, uh, you know, I, I, but you're, you're right. Uh, Hillary Clinton did, uh, although she never, she, I, I don't think she ever, that she had that one opportunity, you know, when Trump was kind of looming behind her that one night and she, she could have turned around and said, you know, get, get back from me or, you know, stop stalking me or something. I mean, it could have been one of those iconic moments. It wasn't. But, but uh, I, you know, I think you're right, uh, Joseph. Thank you for the call. Derek in Winchester, West Virginia. Hey, Derek, what's on your mind? I'm just kind of calling because of last night's debate, you know, throwing Mike Bloomberg out there. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I think the moderators did a kind of a bad job at reeling everyone in. I feel like they were just letting them go at it, fight with each other, argue with each other. And I just don't think that's a good look. You know, I think mm-hmm. the American people care about the issues. And, you know, with these, you know, nominees just going back and forth, I mean, that's not, that's not a way to, to, to unite. Um, so I think they have an issue there, and kind of responding to an earlier call, someone said about Mike Bloomberg, you know, the fact that he is a billionaire. Um, but I think we got to remember, you know, the man is worth $60 billion, and he has $50 billion set up in a, you know, a donation trustee where he donates his money to all these, you know, charitable causes. He gave a billion to John Hopkins Medical. So I think just because he is a billionaire, you know, it's, it's not something to look at him like he's a, this corrupt, evil man just because, you know, billionaires exist. Um, and yeah, I think no, I'm not a. I'm, stage, I'm, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think throwing him on the stage, I think, is, is it good because he has experience that not a lot of the other ones on the stage have. And I think you know mm-hmm. if if he can really key in on you know he is a businessman, he has done these things, he has the resume. I think that will resonate with a lot of the American people that are kind of they don't know which way to look. So, A, you're not counting him out, and B, you're not one of the people that he paid to say nice things about him in social media. I wish. I wish there was a check coming. No, I wish. Okay. All right. Derek, (laughs) thanks a lot for the call. Paula in Miami, Florida. Hey, Paula, what's up? Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm calling because I think Bloomberg could redeem himself for the Stop and Frisk program. If he expunged those young kids' records. Well, he's not mayor anymore, so he doesn't have any political power. I mean, he doesn't have does, the ability with to all do his he money, he it. couldn't case by case try to help 
Well, he might be he might be able to get them a lawyer or something like that. But, you know, it's, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I understand your sentiment. And I, I, you know, I think it's a good one. Paula, thank you for the call. Press in uh, Salt Springs, Florida. Hey, Press, what's up? The well, last you. night's debate, I, I almost feel insulted by uh, Mayor Bloomberg even being there. The money, the arrogance, everything. He doesn't resemble a Democrat to me. I'm just frustrated with the whole thing. Of course, Bernie, in my opinion, did an excellent job. Like he always does. He's solid. Elizabeth Warren, she did well. The rest of them, I feel like, uh, you know, they, they would work. But Bloomberg's a no-go for me. Does money just buy everything nowadays? Or, or we just I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, let's watch the polls for the next three or four days. But I have a feeling that Bloomberg's been slowed down substantially in his momentum. And the question now is, will he keep his... <clears throat> His word that he would uh, devote his billions to taking out Donald Trump, even if the even if the nominee is Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, people with whom he philosophically radically disagrees. We'll see. Well, Roger Stone got 40 months for lying to Congress and threatening a witness. Uh, we'll see, you know, if it gets appealed, we'll see how, it, I don't know if he's going to stay out of jail or not. I've got to dig into this story a little deeper. We'll see well, how Donald Trump responds to this. Apparently, Jared Kushner has asserted himself at the White House into this whole let's pardon people process so that Donald isn't just doing it all by himself. But, you know, my confidence level in Jared Kushner. I mean, it's the Trump crime family. What else can you call it? The other big story here that I just want to share with you very quickly, this is breaking at the Washington Post. It's a bright red banner right across the top of the electronic edition at WashingtonPost.com. Let me just share with you the first three paragraphs. This is just going to blow your mind. This article by Craig Timberg. Facebook created Project P, P for propaganda, in the hectic weeks after the 2016 presidential election. In other words, they were looking for propaganda on Facebook, right? And quickly found dozens of pages that had peddled false news reports ahead of Donald Trump's surprise victory. Nearly all were based overseas, had financial motives, and displayed a clear rightward bent. Now, uh, you may have seen programs on this. There have been some really good investigative reports about these, these teenagers and these young men in, in um I, I think some of them were in Estonia, some of them were in Moldovia. Uh, yeah, this was not the Russians who were who were trying to you know be trolls, but they were literally creating phony news uh, websites that look like newspapers, with with realistic sounding names, and they looked real, and writing literally phony stories like you know Andy Borowitz today. His his piece today is Michael Br- Bloomberg pledges to spend thirty billion dollars to buy a new personality. Um, you know, it was a joke, right? But but this was more like, you know, they would say, you know, uh, the the Pope endorses Donald Trump. That was one of them, actually. And, and uh, you know, and write it like it was a straight news story. And then they would push these stories onto Facebook and uh, use Facebook to get people to click through to the stories, which would take back to the website where an ad would be delivered and they'd be paid for delivering the ad. So this was purely a money-making thing, exploiting the gullibility of, of Americans with right-wing propaganda that helped, and it helped tremendously to get Donald Trump elected. Okay, so back to the Washington Post. In a world of perfect neutrality, which Facebook espouses as its goal, the political tilt of the pages shouldn't have mattered. But in a video conference between Facebook's Washington office and its Silicon Valley headquarters in December of 2016, the company's most senior Republican, Joel Kaplan, voiced concerns that would become familiar to those within the company. 
We can't remove it all because it will disproportionately affect conservatives, said Kaplan, a former George W. Bush White House official and now the head of Facebook's Washington office, according to people familiar with the meeting who spoke on the condition of anonymity. When another Facebook staff member pushed for the entire list to be taken down on the grounds that the accounts fueled fake news, the the fake news that had roiled the election, Kaplan warned of a backlash from conservatives. We can't take down these websites that have lies on them because they're right-wing lies and the conservatives like them. In fact, here's what he said. He said, they don't believe it to be fake news, Kaplan said, arguing for time to develop guidelines that could be defended to the company's critics, including on the right. And it goes on, you know, about how basically, I mean, you know, keep in mind, Facebook put together this fact-checking team for their news. There are no progressive websites or organizations on that list, but Town Hall is on that list, and that's, that is a notorious, or excuse me, Daily Caller, which is a notorious right-wing website. So, you know, Facebook does it again. You know, screw us, screw our politics, all in the guise of, you know, helping keep you in touch with grandma. I am disgusted by it. I can't say it more emphatically. Thanks so much for being with us today. Special thanks to KBCS. Uh, KBCS KBCS.fm is their website if you want to check it out. And and Bellevue College has KBCS here. That's a function of the college and our Seattle affiliate. We're so pleased to be on here every single day. And thank you for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. And tell your friends how to find progressive media. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Is the bane of your life wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags? Well, there's something you can do about it, and I'm not talking about risky, expensive surgery. Just imagine that they're gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's literally the edge you've been looking for. Don't believe it? Uh, try it out. You'll be absolutely astonished. It'll, it'll take 10 years off your appearance. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be yourself at work or out with friends. And the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it. Unless, of course, you tell them. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This this offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES.